last uh, chapter of Luke, and the goal is to wrap her up today. Hold your cheering and applause till later. Let's see what actually happens. I think it's been, what did did we track it back to like, I don't know, it's been a few years. (laughs) Got the same rotten spots too. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing as we look into his word. Our Father, we come before you and we do give you thanks again for your son, for his coming, for the light that he has brought into this world through his word, and for the understanding that he has given us in your word. We pray for your blessing as we look into his passage this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So what impressed me then in the last, in Luke's account, I guess, of the Lord's crucifixion, it was the, uh, just the way that he sets the stage, contrasting from the Old Covenant in the beginning of the New Covenant, and the utter hopelessness and the <clears throat> distance that God was from the suffering of his son on the cross, and that there was no intervention from God at any point. The people, Jesus was turned over to the people for them to do their will. Whatever they wanted to do, they were going to be free to do, and God would not intervene and stop them in the midst of their wickedness. And uh, even though he was a righteous man, so that was different from like the, the Old Testament covenant with the Jews, that God told them, look, if you keep my laws and my commands, I will defeat your enemies, I will bless you and encourage you. And, and uh, it seemed like the Lord was saying, you know, in this new era where the Lord Jesus is our Savior, you may not always see God intervene on your behalf. There may be times where you go into a period where it seems like God is a million miles away. Uh, The Lord was unquestionably righteous. Even the centurion recognized it. The thief on the cross recognized it. And yet there was no intervention. Yet the Lord trusted in God. So that even at the end, his last words that Luke records are, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Given that there was no intervention from God, and given that the Lord's enemies triumphed over him, and the utter hopelessness of the situation, you come to that last little story in Luke 23, uh, starting in verse 50. Behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision. Indeed, he was from Arimathea, city of Jew, uh, this, <laughs> a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. And we, had, we had just a little itty bitty bit of background of Joseph from Arimathea, and the key phrase is that he was waiting for the kingdom of God. And what that meant was that this was a man who was not just doing the Jewish thing in order to gain favor with God so that when it came to the end, maybe God would accept him. This was a man who truly understood and trusted in the God of his fathers. He had faith like Abraham. He was looking forward to the kingdom of God when God would establish his rule over the earth. It says that this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down. He wrapped it in linen and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. 
And I wondered, is this man uh, evidently didn't have the boldness or the opportunity to follow the Lord like the other disciples. He didn't go out teaching and preaching and witnessing to people. <clears throat> what motivated him at the very end when when it seems that God had abandoned this man from Nazareth, abandoned Jesus, and uh, his enemies had triumphed over him, what motivated Joseph to go to that cross, take him down from the cross, and bury him in his own tomb? The chapter closes out saying the day was that day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near, and the women who came who had come with him from Galilee, followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to commandment. We understand the women, that they were attached to this man. They had followed him from Galilee. And so they would they were motivated by their love for him to prepare spices and to prepare him for his burial. Joseph had not followed him all over. Why was he... You almost would expect him as a man who had kind of followed maybe from a little bit of a distance or not following every step that Jesus took, but kind of out of his region, <clears throat> hearing the teachings of Jesus, that he would see Jesus go to the cross, he would see the priest put him to death, and he would say, you know what, I thought this was a man of God, but it seems that maybe he's not. The priests have condemned him, they've, they've called him a blasphemer, they've put him to death, <clears throat> I better not have anything to do with him. But he wasn't. He, he went out of his way and took Jesus from the cross put him in the tomb. I think as we go on into chapter 4, we'll get a hint as to what it was that motivated Joseph to, to take the Lord from the cross and to bury him in his own tomb. So in chapter 24, the story continues. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, speaking of these women that they mentioned in the earlier chapter, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. It happened as they were greatly perplexed about this that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostle. Their words seemed to them like idle tales. They did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen claws lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. The story is told of how they find the open tomb, and they don't find the body of Jesus. They investigate, they don't see it there. The angels come, the angels speak with them. But it seems like the atten our attention is drawn to what the angels say. <clears throat> they say, do you remember what he said to you when he was still in Galilee? And they recited his words. The Son of Man must be delivered up into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And then they remember his words. And that changed everything for them. Oh, yeah. 
He talked about this. He said this. He told us that he was going to die. And then he was going to rise again. And here it is the third day. And now we find the tomb all empty. That changed everything for them. It went from a day of sorrow to a day of rejoicing. They went back and told the disciples. But we're told that the disciples, though they heard what the women said, and the women no doubt told them what the angel said and repeated the words of the Lord Jesus, they didn't believe that the, the words that the women brought to them. And so for them, it was still a day of sorrow. And now it became a day of confusion and sorrow. So Peter runs out and he looks in the tomb. And sure enough, the tomb is empty. And he walks away scratching his head trying to figure out, what is going on with this? But for the women, the words of the Lord Jesus, that transformed everything. Now the next story is a well-known story. The two men that are traveling to Emmaus, they depict for us what was going on in the minds of the disciples, having heard what the women said, and so on and so forth. Here is where they express to us what is going on in their minds. Verse 13, Behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? I like how he answers that. He doesn't say yes or no. I don't know anything about that. He just says, well, what things are you talking about? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet, mighty in word and deed before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And yes, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they'd also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went down to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. They are looking at the events that had happened. That's what their focus is on. They are looking at how... The priests took him and they condemned him. And it's confusing because they had walked with this man, Jesus, and they heard what he said. And he had convinced them uh, through his words and through the miracles and the signs that he'd done that he was the one that God would send, their Messiah. They had, they had become convinced by the Lord Jesus that he was the Messiah. And then all of this happened. It seems like the, you know, the, the grappling with the... the question of were they deceived? Were they somehow fooled? And everything would go wrong like this. And then these events regarding the resurrection happen and they don't understand what's going on. One minute you feel like everything is lost, the next minute it seems like you don't know what's going on. (laughs) They are looking at the circumstances. The women, when they went to the tomb, the angels told them the things that Jesus had said and that it transformed their day. Disciples didn't pay much attention to what was said. They were looking at the circumstances of all that had happened. 
And so Jesus says to them then in verse 25, he said, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. <clears throat> Put the word, the scriptures, right into their faces, right into their ears. He's going to pour the truth of the scriptures and explain, point out all the passages that talked about the sufferings of the Messiah, the rejection and all the things that he would have to go through before he entered his glory. It's the word of God that he pours into their ears. Now watch as the story continues in verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is now toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave to them. And then their eyes were opened. They knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us when he talked with us on the road while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. <clears throat> It's what it strikes me that this whole time that the Lord was with them, it was like there was a restraint on their eyes. They didn't recognize him. They didn't understand who it was. The Lord didn't use his bodily presence to convince them of the reality of what had happened. He used the words of scripture. And their comment was, after he had vanished, was about the scriptures that he had shared with them. Didn't our heart burn within us? When we heard these scriptures unfolded, <clears throat> that was part of the reason why they followed Jesus in the first place. Is because as he taught them, he would teach them, teach them from the scriptures, and they make the truth so alive and so relevant it would burn within their hearts. And that's what they had, that's what had convinced them that he was the Messiah. And now that's what he convinces. That's what he uses is that same word, the same teaching, the explanation of that word. To convince them that he must die and rise from the dead. The Messiah must do that. He didn't use a grand miracle or a sign or um, a, uh, a vision or an appearance before them to convince them of the suffering the Messiah would go through or to, re or to rebuild their hope. He used the words of God, the scriptures. <clears throat> so we see the women... And as they hear the scripture, the word of the Lord Jesus, their hearts are refreshed, or their hearts are brought from sorrow into joy. And we see these disciples, and as they walk along the road, Luke shows us how the Lord told them the scriptures that would remind them of what the Messiah would have to go through and would provide a foundation then for them to stand upon. So that when he when they finally recognized him and vanished from their sight, it wasn't they didn't sit there and say, he has risen. See, didn't you see him for just a second there? They said, of course. All that word that he was telling us didn't that burn inside of our hearts. <clears throat> it seems that Luke is making the point here that 
when the days are dark and when things are hard and everything is going against the people of God, what stabilizes them is their confidence in the word of God and the truth of the word of God. And Joseph, as he stood there and saw that man, Jesus, being abused, nailed to the cross, put to death, that uh, he remembered what that man had said. He hadn't followed him, hadn't perhaps seen all the miracles that he had done, but he had heard, the, heard of the words that the Lord Jesus said. He'd heard of his teachings. And looking for the kingdom of God, he recognized in the words of the Lord Jesus the, the truth of God that correlated with the the kingdom of God. And that won his heart to the Lord Jesus so that when he died on the cross, he went, uh, Joseph went and took his body off that cross and put it in his tomb because this was a man who spoke the words of God of truth and caused the scriptures to burn within his heart. <clears throat> These people then, as they, as they go through that third day trying to make sense of what was going on, they too were stabilized again by the word of God, the words that the Lord Jesus had spoken. And these men from Emmaus, they, as they heard the word of God, the scriptures, and it burned within them, stabilized them, encouraged them, and then confirmed that all that they, that they had experienced, the truth and the reality of what it all was. They got their eyes off the circumstances and got their hearts back on the word of God. What's really neat about this is that the Lord didn't entrust this uh, this experience, this explanation of scriptures. He didn't entrust that explanation of scriptures to some other man, uh, say like have Joseph walk with these guys and explain with them. He didn't entrust it even with an angel to have the angel come through and explain to them the meaning of the scriptures. He himself drew near to these men and explained to them the realities of the scriptures Cause the word to burn within their hearts. Now in verse 36, as they are there uh, excitedly telling each other what they've experienced and the scripture that they've heard and the things that they saw, it says, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace be to you. But they were terrified and frightened. Suppose they'd seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still, not, still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of royal fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. The circumstances have now changed. Now Jesus is standing before them in flesh and blood. He came into the room like a spirit would come into the room. He didn't open the door. He came through physical matter. When he appeared, he had flesh and blood. He was... Uh, it was a confirmation of all that they had just learned about the scriptures. Scriptures speak the truth. Sometimes circumstances seem to contradict the scriptures the truth that the scripture presents us. But there will come a time when the scripture will be vindicated and the truth that is in the scripture will be shown that it is true. And this is what the disciples see. So then he says to them in verse 44, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, 
that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. This is what you need to rest your hope on. Don't wait for me to come and show you some kind of a vision or appear to you and thereby stabilize your hope. Take your minds and your hearts back to Scripture and rest on the truth of Scripture. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. And this is a blessing that we enjoy to this day, to be able to comprehend the Scriptures, to read it, study it, and understand it for ourselves. We don't need uh, some mighty scholar or somebody to come along and open to us the eyes. There are complex things in the scripture that are hard to understand. But there are truths in the scripture that are easy to understand if you just read it and grab hold of it. And we have, he has, the Lord has given to us the ability to comprehend these truths in the scripture. So then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of all these things. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are due with power on high. Here he gives them the purpose of it all, why it all happened like this, why he had to be rejected, why he had to go to the cross. Why he was, why all that confusion had to happen. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. The purpose was that salvation could be preached to mankind. Sins could be forgiven. He, he loved the lost sinners in the world and longed to have their sins removed from them. And that was why he came and that was why he went through all of this ultimately that he could restore people to God. The chapter closes then. He led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. It came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. He departs from them again, but they are not filled with sorrow. They are not saddened that he is gone. They are filled with joy. They worship him. They are in the temple praising and blessing God. Having the scriptures there as the word of God as their foundation has made all the difference in the world. They know now that no matter what comes down the road, whatever circumstances they find themselves in, the word of God is sure. The word of God is true. And they rest in the truth of the word of God. It seems to me that in this last chapter, as I have tried to bring out, that Luke is drawing our attention to the word of God and security that the people of God find in the word of God. That they do not look for appearances of angels or or great miracles to be done to confirm their faith or even appearance of the Lord Jesus, but they depend upon the word of God. And as I thought back then over the gospel and all of the different things that I looked into and studied, I began to see that, uh, that that word of God has been a key point throughout the entire the entire gospel. 
we see the disciples here in chapter 24 as they are confused and distraught. They're, you know, Jesus has been nailed to the cross. And, all, all the, and the reason they're in that state of confusion is because they did not believe what had been told them by the women who had worked from the angels. They didn't take that word in and trust in it, believe in it. We see them at the end, they're in the temple, they're praising and blessing God. And so the, the gospel ends in the same location that it began. The gospel began talking about Zacharias and Elizabeth and tells the story of how Zacharias is in the temple and how he has an angel come before him and an angel delivers the word of God saying, hey, God is going to give you a son that you've been looking for. We saw how Zacharias did not believe the word of the angel and the the uh, humility that he, uh, the, the, how he was humbled through that, he was taken from his high position as being a godly man. He, was, he appeared to be a godly priest who was following after God, but then when it found out that he did not believe the word of God, he was so humbled by that, could not speak, and he was his wife. She withdrew from society, and they found themselves in a very humble position because. He did not believe in the word of God. These disciples find themselves in their confusion and all their sorrow and their sadness, consumed by the, distraught by the circumstances that were around them because they did not believe in the word of God. Had they believed in the word of God, they would have been stabilized and secure and, and even joyful. We see the women who, when they heard the, the word of the angel, were reminded of the the words of the Lord Jesus, how they were filled with joy. And they had even goes so far to tell us that there was uh, Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James, reminds us of another Mary at the beginning of the gospel who had the angel come to her and tell her something that was marvelous and hard to believe. And her contrast then to Zacharias, that she did believe the word of the angel, and she was blessed as a result of her belief. And these women are blessed because of their, this, the joy that comes to them in knowing that their Savior is risen, because they believed in the word of God. And so we, Luke has been showing us how the people who believe in the word of God enter into the blessing of God, even if their circumstances are lousy. The people who disregard the word of God and are more focused on their circumstances, they lose out on the blessing and joy of, the, of God. And they find themselves humbled. He does not abandon them. He did not abandon Zacharias. He did not abandon the disciples. He came to them and showed them the truth of his word, that it was for real. He brought to them his word and strengthened and stabilized them the word, the same as he did for Zacharias. And as, you, as I was thinking about that, I thought, no, what is it then about the word of God? I mean, you can pick up the scriptures and you can read them and the words on the page and that so on and so forth. Like, hey, what are we supposed to get out of the word of God? That is so encouraging because it's, it's, it's interesting to me that Luke does not detail out what passages that the Lord referenced when he was talking to these men on the road to Emmaus. He doesn't uh, rehash again all these prophecies that describe how the Messiah must die and so on and so forth. 
uh, we know those passages. We, we look through the scriptures ourselves. That isn't being reminded that the prophet foretold that Jesus would die on the cross. That isn't what provides us with stability anymore. We, I mean, history shows us the reality of those prophets. The uh, what is it about the scripture then that is supposed to provide stability to us, that is supposed to give us joy? There's a lot of good stories in the Old Testament, the stories of David, the stories of Noah, and all these other different things, and how they trusted in God, and different examples that we can learn from how David trusted in God, how Abraham trusted in God, how Noah trusted in God, and different examples that we can follow. Is that what is intended, that you dig into the scriptures and see how you ought to live your life, and that will provide you that stability? That's not what the Gospel of Luke shows. The Gospel of Luke shows that the Word of God had a big impact on the hearts of the people that listened. In one of the first stories that it tells us where the where we see the Word of God having an impact on somebody is in Luke chapter five, when Simon Peter was in the boat and Jesus was teaching. And after Jesus was done teaching, he says, let's go out and let's catch some fish. And so he drops the net, and also the net is full. He said, he said this, this can't happen. And he starts to pull that net in, and he just overwhelms him. He says, Lord, you need to depart from me because I'm a sinner. This, this great miracle, this incredible blessing, this grace that you poured out on me, is not fitting you should do that for people who are godly, people who will trust you, people who are faithful. Not for me. I'm a sinner. You should depart from me. The teaching of the Lord Jesus as he taught the crowds exposed to Peter the, the gravity and the greatness of the sin. The word of God is true. It is the truth. It is light. And it shows to us the reality of our situation. Circumstances may tell us one thing. Circumstances, people may build us up. They may say you're a great person and you do all these good things. You're so. The word of God will show us that inside we're corrupt and we're full of sin. And then those words of the Lord Jesus to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch me. And I'm not leaving you. You're coming with me. The stories that follow then, we have this leper who comes to Lord Jesus and says, Hey, there's no question that I am unclean. I'm a leper. But I know that you have the capacity and the power to cleanse me if you're willing. Jesus said, I am willing. Be cleansed. What a word. Be cleansed. The story that follows then is of the paralytic man who doesn't even say a thing. He comes down before the Lord and the Lord says, Man, your sins are forgiven you. What a word is this. For these people, for Simon to find out that the Lord was going to receive him, even though he was a self-proclaimed sinner, what stability and encouragement for Peter. What confidence that this leper had, being full of uncleanness, defiled and apart from God, to come up to Jesus and say, Look, I'm unclean. It's an uncleanness that has been given to me by God. Just like we in our sins. Declared unclean by God. Your sins defile you. Your sins 
qualify you for judgment. And the leper is like, I'm unclean, but I know if you're willing, you can make me clean. We see the Lord Jesus with that power of his word to say, man, your sins are forgiven you. This is the word of God. The word of God that speaks the truth of the matter, the reality of our sins, the ability that he has to deal with uncleanness, and the word that he speaks, your sins are forgiven. And then the word of God tells us even more as it talks about Matthew, the tax collector. And Jesus says at the end of that story, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's my goal in coming to this planet to reach out to sinners. It tells us the heart of God, what his desires and intent is to draw sinners to himself. And we can follow through and we can see uh, the, the light that the word of God shines. Is as If we go into chapter 6 and we see these Beatitudes and we see, this is instruction then to the followers of the Lord. The question was raised like, hey Lord, if you're, you're going to draw near to these sinners and so forth, uh, how is this going to work out? Shouldn't you be cleaning them up? Shouldn't you be making them holy and righteous like the Pharisees so that, that they're fit to enter into the uh, the presence of God? Aren't, aren't you going to polish them up a little bit and purify them of their sins? And on the tail end of that question, he says, he gives this teaching of the Beatitudes and he says, look, this is what righteousness is. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless, you. bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. And he goes on, he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? For even sinners do that. You, you love your enemies, do good, lend, hoping for nothing in return. Your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful people. He shows what real righteousness is. And as we look at how he describes righteousness, we say, boy, that, he hits it right on the head. You can't argue his definition of what righteousness is. In today's world, and I, I think at his, during his time, you would find people that would define what righteousness is. And they would say, they would tell you certain things that you've got to do in order to be pleasing to God. Uh, there was a movement in a homeschool group that said that the women should all wear denim dresses and they shouldn't use any makeup and the, the men should, you know, they had all these descriptions of how you ought to live your life. If you happen to offend somebody, this is how you go to them and you, you to, in order to deal with the offense. And they had everything all carefully lined up. You do all these things. The promise was if you do all these things, then your family will be success and you'll be blessed by God. And you look at those things that they say, and you're like, denim dresses? Denim dresses are righteous? Or making this approach whenever you're trying to restore a relationship, that this is the righteous way to do things? Uh, one friend of mine, his brothers got so good at doing this, he said they could get through that um, four or five steps or whatever it was in like three seconds flat before they even got a whooping. <laughs> where's that righteous? I mean, where's righteousness in that? 
But you look at what the Lord Jesus says, bless those who curse you. That's hard to do. But it does make sense. Because if you curse those who curse you, then you're just like them. So to bless, even if somebody curses you, that is actually righteous. And then when he goes and puts it up against God and says, well, God is kind to the unthankful, so if you're going to be righteous, that's what you aim for. This righteousness is impossible to attain. You can't do it. And yet it is legitimate, logical, reasonable righteousness. But it's beyond our reach. This is what the word of God does. If you take it in, you see it. You see that righteousness is beyond me. The Lord Jesus is telling the Pharisees, he's telling his followers, well, you can follow me as close as you want, but you're never going to be as righteous as you ought to be. You'll always need a savior for sinners. Trust in the word of the Lord. You were like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation of rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house, but could not shake it, for it was founded on a rock. For those who hear the word of God and do it. And the gospel goes on and talks about these people who had an encounter with the Lord, a centurion who recognized his unworthiness. He got it. He heard the words of the Lord. He knew what righteousness was. He knew what sin was. And he knew where he stood on that on that measuring stick, down at the sin level. He said, I'm unworthy for you to come to my house. And what did the Lord Jesus say? This man gets it. I've not found such great faith. Not only does he recognize himself as unworthy, but he has the boldness to appeal to me to heal his servant. Like the leper who's full of his leprosy. If you're willing, Lord, you can heal me. A man said he knows that Jesus is there for sinners. He knows, the centurion knows that he has no business being in the presence of the Lord because of his unworthiness, his sin, his uncleanness. But he knows that the Lord Jesus will answer, will answer if he asks for his servant to be healed. Jesus is like this guy. He, he has heard the word of God and believed it. He gets it. We have in there that in that same context and that story of the Pharisee and the woman Pharisee who invited Jesus over for dinner and the woman who was a sinner how she dropped by and she started to honor the Lord Jesus by pouring ointment on his feet and weeping over his feet and wiping his hair with her tears and so forth and the Pharisee being astonished that this prophet would allow such a sinner she was a known sinner in the, in the region that he would allow her to come in contact with him. And the Lord tells that little story. He says, look, there was two debtors. The one owed a lot. The one owed a little, but neither could repay. And so when they're both forgiven, which one is going to love more? And the Pharisee recognized that the one with the greater debt was going to love the creditor more because he had the greater amount forgiven. But he missed the point of the story that both of them had the same problem. They couldn't pay back their debt. Both the Pharisee was in debt and the woman, who was a great sinner, were in debt. She had a great pile of sins. He, by all appearances, seemed to have a small pile of sins. But they both couldn't pay off their debt. They both needed a Savior. And that's what the Word of God proclaims, the light that it shines. It's after that, then, that the Luke writes about the 
the parables of the uh, the sower, how the word of God goes out. There's different responses to the word of God. And then he gives those stories that illustrate each response. And the point that he's driving at is the word of God is critical. Is that if the word of God is ignored, there's no life. If the word of God is held onto and believed and lived in, and there is fruit that is produced. It is the word of God that is at the center. It's that uh, at the beginning when the Lord was at the temple and, and uh, when his parents brought him to the temple for his circumcision and, and uh, Simeon picked him up and he said, he told his mother, this one here is going to be for a division in Israel. There's going to be people brought down. There's going to be people raised up. The way he would do it, the way he would uh, decipher in Israel the hearts of the people, whether they were, whether they should be brought to God or whether they should be cast aside, would be through the Word of God, the light that comes out of the Word of God. That would be how he would raise some up and brought, bring some down. It would be the Word of God presented to them if they received the Word of God, believed it, and recognized the reality in their own lives. They would be raised up. If they disregarded it, did not heed, they would be rejected. It's the word of God that is the critical point that determines whether a person will be received by God or whether they will go into judgment, how they receive it. And he drives that point home in Luke 8. Then from then on, uh, as Luke goes through, he begins to show... And begins to show uh, the Jewish the Jewish rejection of the Word of God, and he really it really seems to build to a, a climax in uh, chapter twelve as he really gets after or the chapter eleven where he really starts getting after the Pharisees, and he says you. He says in verse 39, The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Oh, foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? He exposes the problem that the Pharisees had. They took the word of God, and it said, Do not lie, do not murder, do not commit adultery, among a bunch of other things. The law was written in such a way that it directed them how they ought to act, the things that they ought to do. And the Pharisees took that then, and they modified their actions, so that they tried to align themselves with what the law said. They knew that it was not enough just to stop murdering and stop committing adultery and stop lying. There's lots of people that don't lie, don't murder, don't commit adultery, and they have nothing in God. They knew it was more than that, so they, they found other things, other principles that they would apply to modify their actions so that they could live in such a way that from the outside, they looked like they were perfect. He said, you guys have missed, you guys completely missed the point. The word of God isn't just for directing your outside. It's not a guideline on how you should live. It also deals with your inside. What is your inside like? Let the word of God come inside and expose what you are on the inside, that the inward part is full of greed and wickedness. This is the passage where he says that the he says, Take heed of the light, 
Take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, then the whole body will be full of light. That's when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Speaking of the word of God, that look, the word of God shines. Make sure you open your eyes so that the light comes inside and deals with the inside. And he goes on to show how they reject the word of God and how some, but he also shows, you know, I got those chapters of 15 and 16 where he talks about how God rejoices over a sinner who repents. He doesn't rejoice over a righteous person who doesn't need to repent. If you got your life all perfect so that you're doing exactly what you ought to do, God's like, yeah. But if you open your eyes and let the word of God come in and expose the reality of your sin and also show to you the reality of his desire towards you and his desire to save and his ability to save and his willingness to save and the salvation that he gives and you receive that, God rejoices in the presence of the angels. But it seems to me that as I've gone through Luke that this is... This is what we look for in the Word of God to bring us stability, to bring us a firm foundation that we can build our lives upon. Is this revealing truth of the Word of God, and it reveals it in so many different ways. It will, it will show there are so many different passages that really expose to us our own corruption. I remember going through the part where talked about. You know, when you go into a feast, do you take the highest seat or do you take the lowest seat? And if you take the highest seat, you run the risk of being moved to a lower seat. But if you take a seat that's lower than what you should have, then you run, the, then you you have the potential of being honored by moving up to a higher seat. And so as I was thinking about that, I was like, well, then when I get to the kingdom of God, I guess I'll just take a real low seat so that the Lord can come and lift me up because that's what should happen. And that exposes my own, I mean, <laughs> ugliness. Inside The word of God has such an ability to expose in so many different ways. There are so many different passages that show us the reality of what we are on the inside. But it also shows to us in so many different ways his willingness to save people, to draw them to himself. And we see in so many different ways of how the Lord, you know, even though I have this corruption and shouldn't be brought into the feast just because I'm such a lousy person, the Lord is going to bring me into the feast. It's his desire. It's a feast that he rejoices to bring the sinners in. And then the word of God also tells us all the different, there's so many different ways to look at and to understand the salvation that the Lord has provided and to encourage our hearts in. And all of these things are true. What the word of God is doing is it's showing to us the reality the way things are, how God has set things up in creating this world, world, how his heart is towards us and his thoughts are good towards us, how our sin is so corrupt and how he brings us to himself. That's true. It's real. It's the way things are. It's a firm foundation that you can rest upon, you build your life upon. And that is what the Lord left us with. And I think that is what Luke was trying to impress on us through his gospel. Is that believers' security... Not in miracles, not in visions, not in amazing signs, but in the wonder of the truth of God, taking in the word of God, resting on it. Father, we come before you and again thank you for your mercies towards us to 
send to us your son, reach out to reach out to us with that word of truth, remission of sins, and of a love towards us that we find it hard to believe. We pray that you would help us to rest in that great grace that you've shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ, to rest our hearts and minds on the word of God, to take it in, to receive it, and believe it. Help us in that, we pray. We thank you for this word that you've given. In Jesus' name,